everybody? Welcome to the 63rd episode of our World News Podcast. This podcast, along with all of our other news episodes, are part of Atlas News. Check out the Lethal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art, and culture. Take a look at the journal's bulletin from the Borderlands, a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyze educate, or you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate as well. And also, we are now on Substack. That is analyzeeducate.substack.com. Right now, the first thing we got out for you guys is uh, early access to a brand new series that I'm going to be doing with john from the defense bulletin we're doing history episodes this is the first one in that series we're focusing on world war one and before we get into the war itself uh we are doing pre-war episodes or i'm sorry episodes for uh for each major player leading up to the war so this first one is uh is pre-war germany so again that is up for early access on substack uh if you feel so inclined to subscribe to us on substack or it's also on patreon as well if you support us on either of those platforms you get uh listen to that before everybody else so thank you guys for all the support you throw our way of course and that being said we'll head into the episode okay so just a quick note you guys have helped us reach over twenty three thousand downloads and 1500 followers on spotify so thank you for that very much now uh this episode is going to be very uh israel and gaza heavy uh, very heavy it's probably good 90 percent of what we cover on this episode this week so so before we get started here right now it is friday october 13th uh it's about eight o'clock in the evening over here on the west coast in california so again uh, just like with last week by the time you listen to this i'm sure things will have changed again this is a very uh very dynamic um war that's that this region is in right now so so just keep that in mind that's why i say what uh what date and time it is right now so getting into it on the morning of the 7th as you well know palestinian factions in gaza launched multiple barrages of rockets into southern and central israel this was led by hamas but other factions were involved as well at least six thousand rockets have been fired overall and it appears that Israel was caught off guard as a large number of rockets uh, impacted before Iron Dome batteries could shoot them down in the first barrages on the 7th. You could compare that to 4,400 rockets fired in the 11 days of fighting in 2021. Palestinian terrorists used the rocket attacks as cover and were able to enter Israel at multiple points along the border. It was a holiday weekend in Israel, which likely contributed to their success. We now know that at least 1,500 Palestinian gunmen managed to get into southern Israel before uh, the Israeli Defense Forces were able to regain control of the border with Gaza 72 hours after the start of this attack. We know that because Israeli security forces have found the bodies of at least 1,500 Palestinian gunmen since the attack began inside Israel. Squads of Palestinian gunmen were roaming around border towns and cities before being engaged by Israeli forces, it is believed that some gunmen may still be hiding in southern Israel. On the 10th, 18 terrorists were killed inside Israel, even after 
Israel regained control of its border. And the next day on the 11th, at least one terrorist was killed. And we're still having reports uh, here and there throughout the days of gunfire in southern Israel. So just keep that in mind. People were executed, dragged out of their homes, kidnapped and taken back to Gaza and some military bases and border posts were overrun. People were, and again, I'll keep saying it, don't let your kids listen to this. This is uh, this is not fun stuff to cover by any means, so just keep that in mind. People were burned to death, mutilated, women were raped in one kibbutz, which is, I guess, similar to a commune. 40 children and infants were found executed. There are a lot of reports going around uh, that some of those children were beheaded. President Biden even said uh, President Biden even said that he saw pictures confirming such, but at this time there is no confirmation of that from the Israeli government that children were beheaded. And the White House immediately walked back Biden's comments saying that uh, he was never shown such pictures. Still, though, 40 children were killed. At least 1,300 Israelis have been killed and 3,400 have been wounded. Among the dead include at least 257 IDF personnel and 41 police officers, as well as foreign nationals from Thailand, Nepal, the UK, Ukraine, uh, 13 French citizens, 27 Americans, and people from plenty of other countries as well. At least 150 people have been taken hostage by Palestinian factions and are currently in Gaza. That includes Americans, Mexicans, Filipinos, and some other foreign nationals. So far, the IDF has been able to notify the families of at least 97 hostages. At least 1,800 people in Gaza have been killed in Israeli air, naval, and artillery strikes, and some 6,400 have been wounded. 50% of Gaza's population is under 18 years old. Entire neighborhoods have been flattened. Among the dead in Gaza are 11 UN staff members, five Red Crescent members, and multiple journalists. The IDF has been identifying specific fighters and units that took part in this attack and has been targeting them with airstrikes. This includes positions occupied by the Nukba elite forces of Hamas. The homes of multiple Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad leaders have been targeted by strikes. This includes, I'm going to butcher these, Abu Abeda, spokesperson for the Al-Qassam Brigades, leader for Palestinian Islamic Jihad PIJs, Saraya Al-Quds Brigades, Abdul Rahman Sahab. He was reportedly killed in an airstrike as well. The Israeli Navy's Shayatet 13 unit also captured the deputy commander of the Southern District of Hamas Naval Forces and 25 other gunmen during an operation to retake a military post along the border. Hamid Sinwar, the brother of Yahya Sinwar, has been killed in a strike. Yahya is the second most powerful leader in Hamas as the head of Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Sami al-Abd al-Hassani was killed in a strike as well on the al-Shati refugee camp. Al-Hassani was the leader of the al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigades in Gaza, which is an armed faction of Fatah, which is heavily present in the West Bank. In the West Bank, clashes between Palestinians and the Israeli Defense Forces plus armed Israeli settlers have left 44 Palestinians killed and 700 people wounded. Israeli settlers in the West Bank have been attacking Palestinian communities, and some videos show them shooting unarmed Palestinian civilians. 
In the town of Kusra, six people, six Palestinians, were gunned down in two separate attacks by armed Israeli settlers. Israeli Major General Nimrod Aloni, commander of the Israeli Defense Forces Def Corps, is confirmed to be alive and he is not in Palestinian custody. This is despite claims by Hamas and reports of his capture by multiple outlets and channels, including my own. Aloni continues to carry out his command duties. Uh, a lot of us got uh, duped by this story from Hamas. Rest assured, Major General Aloni is alive and still carrying on with his command. Last week, we reported on an open-air rave that was held in southern Israel that was targeted by Hamas fighters that came down from paragliders. Palestinian gunmen opened fire on hundreds of people from all directions. Thanks to search and rescue teams, we now know that 260 people at that festival were killed. Police and security tried to evacuate the festival and put up a heroic defense People scrambled to their cars to flee the area. Some who were able to drive away in their cars were ambushed and killed by terrorists waiting along the highway. Those that couldn't get in their cars in time were hunted down and killed like animals. Dashcam footage shown in multiple vehicles confirms this. An unknown number of people at the festival were taken hostage as well, although it isn't clear how many actually made it to Gaza before being executed anyway. This is the largest loss of life in the attacks. The Israeli government has ordered a complete blockade of Gaza. No food, water, fuel, or electricity is being given to the area. On the 11th, fuel for the only power station inside Gaza ran out. There have been a lot of conflicting reports regarding warnings made to the Israeli government before the attack began. Given the reputation of Mossad, Israeli's national intelligence agency, the fact that the country was caught so off guard by this attack is puzzling. Axios has quoted three unnamed Israeli officials that claimed intelligence picked up signs of irregular Hamas activity on the night before the operation, but high-level leaders in the IDF and Shimbet, the internal security service, chose not to put border forces on high alert. Again, that claim is from three unnamed alleged officials. The IDF and Shimbet did not comment on that story. Also, Egypt claims that it warned Israel of an impending attack by Hamas, but it was ignored. Chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Representative Michael McCall, also said that Egypt warned Israel of the attack three days before it happened. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government has denied those claims. Israel's full response, known as Operation Iron Swords, is expected to be massive. It is widely believed that Israel will launch a ground assault, which will be a nightmare in Gaza. Casualties will be high on both sides. Israel has called up over 300,000 reservists for active duty. Before the attacks, the IDF had 170,000 personnel. Now it has 530,000 on active orders, and that number is growing. At midnight on the 13th, Israel told the UN to evacuate everybody north of Wadi Gaza to the south within 24 hours, which effectively cuts the Gaza Strip in half. Mm -hmm. This would mean the evacuation of 1.1 million people. Israel later said that it understood it was a difficult task and it would allow ample time for the evacuation. Hamas has been urging people not to evacuate, claiming that the notice from Israel is fake. As of right now, thousands of Gazans have been evacuating, and there's no indication that Hamas is forcing people to stay in the north, although it is expected that a lot of people will remain in the area as well. 
Over the same night, multiple local raids inside Gaza were conducted by special operations forces, infantry, and armor to clear areas of militants and look for Israeli hostages. Again, as of right now, Friday the 13th at about 8 o'clock in the evening, there has been no full ground assault by the Israeli military, but that is expected to begin really at any moment right now. So we'll uh, we'll keep you guys up to date. Do you know where to follow us on social media and things like that? The IDF does expect that Hezbollah will join in the war when the ground operation in Gaza begins. The Northern Command is heavily reinforced for that reason. Clashes between the IDF and Hezbollah have been ongoing throughout the week. Six people have been killed and another six have been injured in Lebanon. Among the dead are five Hezbollah fighters and one Reuters cameraman, Issam Abdullah. Abdullah and other members of a Reuters and AFP team were live streaming the situation in Lebanon on the 13th when they were struck by Israeli shelling, either from a tank or artillery. We really don't know at this point. Along with Abdullah being killed, three other members of the team were wounded. Some countries have been evacuating their citizens from Israel. This includes Mexico, which evacuated 140 people, and Brazil, as well as evacuated, I believe, over 200 people. In a regional show of force, the U.S. military is mustering a lot of assets in the eastern Mediterranean. The USS Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group was just deployed to the area. The USS Dwight D. Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group and the Bataan Amphibious Readiness Group, along with the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit, have been ordered to link up with the Ford as well. Ford is giving Israel intelligence and maritime support and maintains long-range strike options as well. The Department of Defense is also sending additional A-10s, F-15s, F-16s, and F-35s to the region. I believe as of right now, A-10s and F-15s have already landed in uh, the CENTCOM area of responsibility. Additionally, U.S. hostage rescue experts are in Israel accompanying Secretary of State Antony Blinken. The messenger claims that a JSOC unit has been put on standby to rescue American hostages in Gaza. That does not mean that they're going to go in, though, so keep that in mind. Other officials have visited Israel in the past week to show support. This includes Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, German Foreign Minister Alina Barbach, Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie Jolly, Italian Foreign Minister Antonio Tijani, European Commissioner President Ursula von der Leyen, and European Parliament President Roberta Metasola. The UK military is also deploying assets to the region. British Maritime Patrol aircraft will begin flying near the coast of Israel and Gaza to monitor regional threats. Actually, they began doing so on Friday, so that's already ongoing. Israel has asked for military aid from its allies. Over the week, the US began flying shipments of weapons and ammunition to Israel, and Germany has given Israel control over two Haran TP drones for them to use in the fight against Hamas. Israel has also closed the Tamar gas field, a major offshore field about 24 kilometers west of Ashkelon, which is operated by Chevron. The field produces about 7.1 million barrels per day and was closed for security reasons. Pro-Hamas protests and celebrations have been observed in multiple places around the world. This includes Times Square in New York, Los Angeles, Michigan, London, Paris, Germany, Austria, Sweden, and Australia. In Australia, people at a rally chanted, again, no kids, quote, fuck the Jews and, quote, gas the Jews. In France and Germany, pro-Hamas demonstrations have been banned. 
In the former, clashes erupted in Paris between demonstrators and riot police after the banning. A former high-level Hamas leader has called for a global day of jihad to be held on Friday the 13th. It was fairly uneventful, all things considered, but there were a couple incidents. In the French town of Arras, an academy teacher was stabbed to death by an ex-student of Chechen origin. The student yelled Allahu Akbar before starting the attack and also wounded another teacher and security officer. The suspect has since been arrested. And in Beijing, China, a man stabbed an Israeli diplomat just outside the Israeli embassy compound. The diplomat is in stable condition. And that's really all we got going on for that region. We'll take a quick break and we'll finish it off. Okay, and we're going to end it off here with the Americas. Obviously, Bolton from the Borderlands released on the first for the Americas desk. We covered El Chapo's son in U.S. federal court and Mexican cartels looking to hire U.S. veterans. You can find that at lethalmindsjournal.substack.com, or you could also find it at the link in our bio. Looking at the U.S. presidential race update, these are averages from 538. Biden's approval rating is at 39. That remains the same from last week. His disapproval rating is at 54. That is actually down 2%. Trump's favorability is at 40, and his unfavorability is at 55. Both of those are down 1% from last week. Looking at the Republican primary, Trump is at 58. He is up two points. DeSantis is at 13. He is down two. And Vivek Ramaswamy is at seven. He is down one. As we recently reported, RFK Jr. did indeed announce that he is running as an independent candidate. This means that President Biden has no serious competition in the Democratic primary. And actually, just a quick note on that. Uh, you guys may know Cenk Uyghur. He is the the head of the Young Turks. They're uh, a left-wing political show on YouTube. He's like a major left-wing political commentator, right? He's running for the uh, Democratic primary because he wants to be president. There is just one issue, though. Uh, Cenk Uyghur was born in Turkey, not the U.S. There's a law that bans, well, actually, the Constitution says that uh, you can't run for president if you are not born in the U.S., uh, for some reason, Chank Uyghur thinks that law doesn't apply to him. Um, I'm obviously not a lawyer, but my own analysis is that, of course, it does because it applies to everybody and he will not be president. But that is uh, that's just what I have to say. Maybe you guys disagree with me. But moving on, on the 12th, U.S. Senator Bob Menendez, the Democrat from New Jersey, and his wife, Nadine, were charged in another federal indictment. This time, they've been charged with conspiring to have the senator act as a foreign agent of Egypt. This comes after the two were charged with corruption in a federal indictment last month. As you probably know, Menendez was the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee at the time of his alleged crimes. The senator was also charged with corruption in 2017, but was not convicted. According to this new indictment, both Menendez's met with an Egyptian intelligence official and New Jersey businessman known as Wael Hanna in the Senate office in 2019.
They discussed the issue of a U.S. citizen that was injured in an Egyptian airstrike. Multiple U.S. lawmakers believe that Egypt did not give the man fair compensation for that airstrike, so they objected to military aid to Egypt. Menendez allegedly searched the American's name online, and one week later, Hana and the Egyptian official texted each other in Arabic, with the official telling Hana that if the senator helped resolve the issue, quote, he will sit very comfortably, end quote. Hanna replied by saying, quote, order, consider it done, end quote. The next year, in 2020, Nadine Menendez texted the same Egyptian official, quote, anytime you need anything, you have my number and we will make everything happen, end quote. Less than one week later, she arranged a meeting between her husband and the Egyptian official to discuss Egypt, Sudan, and a dam that Ethiopia was constructing along the Nile River. Within a month, Menendez wrote a letter to the secretaries of the Treasury and the State Department expressing his concern over the stalled negotiations regarding the dam. He wrote, quote, I therefore urge you to significantly increase the State Department's engagement on the negotiations surrounding the dam, end quote. It is illegal for members of Congress or any other public official to act as a foreign agent. Prosecutors say that Nadine Menendez and Wailhana failed to register as foreign agents themselves and conspired to have the senator act as such on behalf of Egypt. Prosecutors say that the senator clearly knew of the law as he wrote to Attorney General Merrick Garland in 2020 regarding the investigation into David Rivera, the former Republican congressman from Florida that was charged with acting as a foreign agent. If convicted on all charges, both the senator and his wife face a maximum of 50 years in prison. And then last story, we got House Majority Leader Steve Scalise of Louisiana was voted in a closed-door Republican election to be the nominee for the House Speaker. Scalise won 113 votes as opposed to Jim Jordan of Ohio, who won 99. On the 12th, though, Scalise dropped out of the race to become Speaker due to him not securing the support of at least 217 representatives for a floor vote. And as of today, Jim Jordan was actually voted in as the nominee instead, although it isn't clear he has 217 votes for a House floor. So uh, we will keep you guys up to date. Not really clear when they're going to attempt a House vote or if they even will. Of course, they didn't with Scalise because he clearly didn't have the support. Kind of up in the air right now. Without a Speaker, the House can really not function. Uh, there's a guy that is serving as the acting House Speaker right now, but he really doesn't have the power to do much. That's kind of where we are right now. But that's all I have for you guys. I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That's all one word. We are also on Telegram with the same name. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Analyze Educate. Ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash analyze educate or substack at analyze educate.substack.com. You could find all those links in the show notes below. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. That helps us out a lot as well. And I will see you guys soon.